Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things. There's nothing positive to talk about today. The world sucks. Everything sucks. Happiness is gone from the world. The officials are the worst. The announcers are the worst. Our state can't stop a nosebleed in pass defense. Everything sucks, Jeff Woody. Everything sucks. Did you get that off your chest? You feel better now? I'll never be over it. <laughs> this is a wound that's going to fester. I want this wound to fester. Just like you're, like you're staring, you're, you're going to be 44. It's like you're a, and it's like a high school loss and you're still looking at the newspaper print of the, the local reporter who said, man, Mrs. Field goal to lose to rival school. And you're just staring at that newspaper. 15 years later with a alcoholic beverage in your hand, you have cans scattered everywhere. That's you. That's going to be you. And if I'm 44 years, years old, if I'm 44 years old, it would have been significantly longer than 15 years since I'd gotten out of high school. Otherwise that would have been a very questionable eligibility decision for me to be 28 years old playing, uh, playing high school football. <laughs> I just get the visual of a 28 year old. <laughs> in high school playing high school football. I don't know how that would happen. I just want to see that happen. I want that movie and I want Ryan Reynolds to play the 28 year old. That's well, in fairness, Brandon Whedon was what 43 when he was playing college football and he's now he's in the announcing booth. So, you know, and that was rough. So anyway, uh, yeah, Iowa state, not, not good on Saturday. Iowa state hey. did not play well on Saturday, lost 38 to 31, gave up almost 500 yards of total offense to a West Virginia team that, uh, has not been very good this year uh, and struggled offensively. Went only two of 12 on third downs. Uh, had a couple big plays that kept him in it. Had some big mistakes that knocked him out of it. So much happened, man. Just a bad game. Bad what, game. What's interesting about it is, again, I, so, okay. I, I have, just have to get this off my chest because you and I do this professionally. We talk about sports professionally. That was probably the worst broadcast team broadcast experience that I've had just watching and the, and not necessarily because either one of them are bad necessarily at their jobs. They're probably just new ish and trying to get used to it. And I can understand how you might not be great at the right time, but what's disappointing about it is that there are a lot of nuances of that game that went unexplained on either side because of the lack of quality broadcasting that was there. So one thing that most people probably know, because it, it they, they follow us. If you're listening to this, you probably follow Cyclone Fanatic. Uh, and you would have known that Mike Rose didn't play. So the fact that Mike Rose wasn't in the game, you can't say that was, you're not going to say like, that's the reason they lost because there is no one reason why they lost, but it does highlight the importance of how Iowa state plays their defense, how reliant they are sometimes on really good individuals combining together to make one really good defense. And so thinking about the Oklahoma state game, what's the difference in seven days, how you can go from that, the Oklahoma state game to this, the West Virginia game. Well, like what happened? So there are so many times in the Oklahoma state game where 
teams are now recognizing or not now I, the teams are recognizing it has happened. They've been playing this defense for three or four years. They understand the point because you got to now understand how to defeat it. And while how to defeat it is doing what West Virginia did, uh, which is to wash the, so Iowa state wants to make a pile. They want to take the defensive ends, middle interior linebackers and nose guards. They want to make a pile and then they want to take their linebackers and safeties and run them to the outside of that pile to collect any spill of whatever's going to happen. So your goal as an offense is to just move the pile. You, you can't stop a pile from forming. You can just make the pile form where you want it to form. And then Iowa state's responsibility then is if the pile moves, you have to be, if there's just more space to cover for Mike Rose or Jake Hummel or Greg Eisworth or I or whoever is the, the tackling port, port person on the outside of that, that thing. Well, Mike Rose is probably the best tackler in the conference. Just, I, I think we can agree to that. Maybe, maybe DeMarvion Overshone from Texas, but you get those two guys are the best tacklers in the conference. Well, and it, where Mike Rose ha, is at his best. And the reason why they have been playing outside linebackers, because a lot of times the outside linebackers are going to be responsible for making that tackle. Once the pile has kind of formed and it's bounced. Teams have washed the pile by. Now we understand the mechanism. Teams have washed the pile by like Oklahoma State. And then Jalen Warren cuts out the backside. And who's there to make the tackle? Mike Rose. In If the offensive line does a really good job, in a ton of space. But because Mike Rose is a really good tackler, he's going to bring Jalen Warren down for a two-yard gain. And it's a play that everybody completely forgets about because – Mike Rose makes a good open field tackle at the line of scrimmage where he condenses the space and he does the things that are necessary. They kind of rotated who was in at that outside linebacker position or who was playing that spot, but clearly they're not going to be as good as the big 12 defensive player of the year. And a guy who's probably going to make, make money playing football for the next like 15 years. So what happened is West Virginia would consistently push that pile by and then there wasn't a Mike Rose there to be the eraser for when the offensive line does a good job. And so you have this, this, a play by Leon or whoever the, the backup running back is, I forget his name, but he was really, really good at keeping space. I mean, he juked Will McDonald out of his jockstrap once. And you have that cutback or you have that front side run <clears throat> once the offensive line condenses it down without a Mike Rose to correct those one-offs when that does happen here or there. So then you have second and two, second and one. Maybe you get a first down. It's 11-yard run or something like that. And you have the offense that can operate in rhythm. So your second and one, what are you going to do with second and one? That's your chance that you can take shots down the field because most of the time, Iowa State was playing a soft coverage, which they tend to do, and they were taking underneath hits. But if you're second and one, you've got a chance. Because even if you take a sack, you're probably going to be still third and four, third and five, or if it's an incomplete pass, you're going to be set third and one, and you can still convert that because you don't have a Mike Rose there to make the tackle. So you have the confidence to take the deep shot. So all of that stuff piles on itself that if it, if it was mentioned in the broadcast, then people can understand, Oh, this is what I should feel going forward that you shouldn't necessarily expect the same Iowa state defense that you had seen because it's missing its best player. And now again, that's not saying that, Everybody else is absolved from responsibility because Mike wasn't out there. They should have been better, but that's just one aspect of it, of not having Mike Rose makes it so the, the other offense can be in a bigger groove because there are, there's no eraser for the running game. And then there's also no one to kind of make sure that you're 
getting your underneath passing routes protected. So yeah, Mike not being there was a huge deal, but at the same time, 10, 10 other dudes that were starters were out there playing and just didn't play well. Yeah. I think that's what was most disappointing. Even then, like Eric Horn, Gary Vaughn, Dijon Davis, those guys have played a lot for Iowa state. You didn't, I don't think that they played their best games by any means, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just what, it, honestly, at the end of the day, though, I think that it's it's some issues that you and I have talked about a lot coming back to roost on this defense. Uh, the second cornerback spot had a rough day. Oh, yeah. R-U-F-F, rough day. Not just Datron Young, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but TJ Tampa did not play overly well. That group just had a real, real tough day. Well, and and uh, even Anthony Johnson that, got his butt kicked a little bit too. Like, I think there was really one or two plays where Anthony Johnson was kind of was targeted, but when you throw the ball 46 times, yeah. eventually one is going to come over there. It, it, that's bound to happen. But most of those completions, most of the completions that happened were to the non Anthony Johnson side, the other corner, the second corner. It, well, so also can we take a time out here? We've got to compliment West Virginia because mm-hmm. the offensive scheme that they came at was really solid in and, and one of the times that that Whedon did back his way into a good point uh, was the defense is built to, you know, every defense is a weakness, no matter what it is. There, that is a universal fact is you cannot cover every single blade of grass. You have, there is something open somewhere. And so if you're able to have the time or able to get the angles to beat it, you can beat it. Well, the, the weakness generally within this defense is underneath passing as if you can be patient and effective enough in underneath passing, then you can actually move the ball down the field. But in order to get a touchdown, it's going to have to be a 12 play drive that you're going to throw the ball nine of those 12. It's just going to have to be six yards at a time. And that's, you're not going to get these generally not going to get a, a, a big down the middle play. You're not going to get a big play down the field. Generally speaking, if you can be patient enough to move the ball down the field, well, they did that consistently just five yards at a time, five yards at a time, five yards at a time, five yards at a time. And the fact that West Virginia was patient enough to do that is something that no other teams have been able to do. They've other teams have tried to jump the gun and tried to take a shot down the field or, and then they will McDonald gets a sack or whatever. And by doing that patient offense, it forced the Iowa state secondary into positions that they didn't want to be in. They wanted to have, they had to be more aggressive up towards the line of scrimmage or playing up towards the line of scrimmage, which allowed the deep ball to happen. It forced them out of the game. They wanted to play, which was drop a bunch and then come up and tackle what's there. But West Virginia was consistently willing to just take six yards on an out route to take six yards in an out route to hit a tight end for uh, uh, just underneath in between the linebackers for four yards. They were willing to just take those little tiny dink and dunk plays. And that's the way you beat this defense. That is the recipe for beating Iowa state. Now, if you don't have a quarterback that's accurate or confident enough to take that, can't do it. If you don't have wide receivers that are physical enough to combat at the top of your route, can't do it. If you don't have a running back that can actually force, uh, can drag a player when you do actually run the ball, that can't drag a player to convert on a third down and short, can't do it. But if you have those elements, then that is possible to do. And so Western came up with, they, they, the recipe is there to beat Iowa State's defense. They actually just put it together to do it. 
if you were to play 10 games, do I think that West Virginia would win more than four of them? No, but in this one, they did, they did everything they needed to do in order to get the win. Yeah. I pulled up the pro football focus numbers from this game. Um, for Datron Young, uh, targeted eight times, six catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. Uh, for Kamani King, he was targeted eight times for six receptions, 68 yards. Anthony Johnson targeted five times for four catches and 61 yards. TJ Tampa targeted four times for three catches and 43 yards. I mean, the other issue, I think, as much as anything, is that even when they would throw it short, they struggled tackling as much as we've probably seen them struggle with tackling in quite a while. And that's where I told you it's kind of goes back to what you were saying about the run game. Mike is so good at when te- when guys knock people off balance, he's really good at coming in and cleaning it up and getting people on the ground. And I thought that that's where you could really see him, them missing him is that yeah. on those shorter routes where, you know, Daytron might not be as good at making a tackle one-on-one in space. You always have Mike filling out to, you know, run to the football and, and help, bring people down and they just didn't have that, you know, they didn't have that same guy. Yeah, he, he's the, he's the eraser for the defense in an underneath route or whatever. Now, and there's also stuff. I don't know if it's necessary. I don't think that he would have been in this position necessarily. So I don't think this was Mike would have been Mike, but that touchdown that was on the, the delay a game play, mm-hmm. the one that, that, that was kind of debated on there. And again, let me just put a pin in that delay of game phrase and we'll come back to it. Um, but I, that was just a, it was a glance route up the middle. And in order for that to be effectively defended, a linebacker has to change that guy's path to where he wants to go. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to hit him, but you have to change his route in some form or fashion. And I think it was to the opposite side. I think that was Orion Vance was the one that was over there and it wouldn't necessarily have been Mike, but the, the, the formations that West Virginia had were able to take the linebackers and get them in positions where Mike is again, the best players, best defensive player, both in passing and in the run game. It's like, he is the, the best one. And so by not having him there, you don't have the rerouting or collisioning of the interior wide receivers that number 23 usually provides. Is he going to get a tip every time? Probably not. Is he going to get an interception all the time? Probably not. Just logistically, it's not going to happen. Is he going to get the pass breakup every time? Not necessarily. But if you collision the tight end, it throws the rhythm off for where that guy is supposed to be relative to everybody else in the route. So using that glance one as an example, guy ran basically unimpeded. And I think it was, was Craig McDonald maybe, but whoever the safety was is in absolute no man's land. You are one-on-one with a dude who's got a 10 yard running start at you and you have no capacity to play. If you play inside, guy's going to cut out. If you play outside, guy's going to cut in because you're in a cover two. It's just doesn't it there's no way that you can do that without the first level of defense doing something to influence that guy's route and timing so i said put a pin in the delay of game thing it was probably delay of game but delay of game is a really hard call to make just because the logistics of it are both and brent would probably have a better idea and i haven't listened to the the bloom and williams podcast from sunday but the the logistics on the back end of the referee the backsides, I mean, the backside of the defense, the backside of the offense, the farthest guy back is looking at the play clock uh, prior to snap and make sure there's 12 guys in the field. And then once he sees that it goes to zero, he has to look down to see if the ball has or has not been snapped. And then he's, if the ball is snapped in the process between the clock hitting zero and him looking down at the play to see if the ball has been snapped, 
then he's not going to call, he can't call delay a game because it's impossible to prove if that it's not like a, it's not a time bomb where it goes three, two, one, zero delay a game right there. So it's usually like the echo of zero where it's clock goes to zero. And then you have to give the guy time to look down, see what's happening, see if the snap has actually been there. I think that it was beyond the echo of zero, but it's not something you can count on because that play is really hard. It's hard to call a delay a game uh, in that in that situation because it was snapped somewhat in the echo of zero. So yeah, I mean, it, it is frustrating that that happened, but it's not necessarily the worst. But again, back to Mike, there was no, the, the linebackers were substantially worse without him out there than they were with him out there. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first game that he has missed in his entire Iowa State career. Yeah, I think he'd started like 45 games in a row or something like that. So, yeah, this is the first time you've seen the defense without Mike. And so that's it's not overly things, encouraging you know, if, for the future. Not, not overly encouraging, but also, you know, this, this for the future is you have, there is still talent. Yeah. And there is now film to say, look, if you're not better, this is what happens. And so going into the off season, you're going to take the, you know, there is a system that you want to run, but they also are not, they created this three, three, five out of necessity of being able to say, this is a guy that we, we have these guys and we have a bunch of linebackers. We have very few defensive linemen. Uh, let's get this defensive lineman or let's get these linebackers on the field. So you've got, more people than you have on or more people than you want in linebacker. So you put them on. So they might switch scheme up a little bit or whose responsibility is to do what, if they, if they don't have a Mike Rose to do what Mike Rose does, it's not necessarily the future is not bleak. It is just the present is bleak. If he's not in the game. All right. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with the defense? Um, not I, the, the off corner thing it was frustrating because we i we had i thought that there were uh, there was some semblance of datron young having improved his coverage at the end of last year into this year but that did not end up coming to fruition this time like it was we i i jokingly called it uh not i we as a offense jokingly called there's a, a scout uh, a scout player whose last name was fountain and they, he, he was super nice guy, but not great in coverage. And Austin or would always joke, check fountain. If he was in on scout team and they would throw to whoever's on him. So just check fountain, like no matter what it is, throw a vertical against that guy. And it felt like a check fountain situation where you are, there is a, there's a receiver and it doesn't matter who it is. Number zero, I forget his name, is really a tall physical wide receiver, which is a bad matchup for number two. And you, whoever number two is, and they're going to formation it to the, so they get Iowa State more in a, a manned situation or a man feel. Even if it's a zone, it's like something like forcing him into cover two or forcing him into a cover three where he is the, the third deep player, which turns it more or less into man. And they formationed everything so it was more or less man coverage. And they just threw to that. Like they were just going to whoever it was just a, a check day situation where you're just finding number two and throwing at him. And if it's a pass interference, fine. If it's a, a touchdown, fine. We're just going to throw it over there. So it was, that was the thing that I thought, I thought that Iowa state had gotten over, but they hadn't. And yeah, a lot of factors led to that where 
if the pass rush is better, which pass rush wasn't great on Saturday, if the pass rush was better, then it doesn't matter how bad the coverage is down the field because quarterbacks on the ground. Well, that didn't happen either. So it's, it's not just one guy. It's just the weaknesses of one was allowed to be exploited because the other 10 didn't do the job they needed to do. Uh, yeah. Bryce Wheaton looked like the best receiver in the conference during this game. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton had six catches, 106 yards, uh, and two touchdowns. Um, and two incredible touchdowns too. I mean, yeah. props. Yeah. The one in the back of the end zone. Do I think his foot was probably off the ground? Yes his shoes and socks and the turf were the exact same color and it was bad lighting to even see anything. So the cameras, when you're looking on a six inch by four inch monitor on, you know, if you're a referee or even whoever's up in the, in the review booth, you're, you can't see for sure that his foot wasn't on the ground. So you kind of got to let it stand. It's an incredible catch. And the one in double coverage was an incredible catch. So sometimes you tip your cap to a guy, but at the same time, there was a lot of those that were more or less unoccupied. I mean, he didn't got lucky by getting a pass interference, but he would have had another 50 yards if that one didn't get taken off the board. Yeah. I think the frustration that some people have is the inability for Iowa state's defensive backs this year to seemingly win contested catch situations seems mm-hmm. like they have not won very many of those TJ Tampa did make a nice play in the corner on the one when they tried to throw it into the end zone and he knocked it out. Uh, I can't remember who they were trying to throw it to, but it was like a fade, like what Iowa mm-hmm. state tries to do the back shoulder and mm-hmm. uh, Tampa knocked it out before he was able to get his feet in bounds. That was a nice play. But other than that, it does not seem like they win those types of balls very often. And I mean, that's yeah. kind of coming back to bite them a couple weeks in a row. I really think the last, I mean, so Anthony Johnson does that again, this, this is yeah. a bad game for him, but it's not, it wasn't an atrocious game, you know, four receptions for 60 yards. All right. That every time, everyone's by his while. standards, that's bad, but, but by most standards, that's not very bad. Yeah. That's okay. That That's an average game for most people. It's a bad game for him. So let's toss that out. But I mean, you guys like Brian Peavy back when he was kind of playing, that was the thing, even though he was short, he was going up in those competitive catch situations and breaking the pass up. Mm-hmm. It's not a skill set that that Daytron Young is good at. And the thing, the reason why Daytron Young still plays is because he's generally pretty good in the running game. He's generally he, the corner's job in this defense and in most defenses in the running game is if there's a run, if there's a run play at you, the more you stretch, the more you as a corner go to the sideline, the w- more space the running back has to work with. And the more you go up the field, even like towards the offensive side, if you just keep going up there, you take yourself out of the play. And if you get caved in, then the running back has the edge and you just going to run. So your job is to hold an edge and condense that down on the line of scrimmage as much as you possibly can and force the running back to cut up. And that's where your, your teammates help is going to be. And that he's generally pretty good at that job of playing contain as a run fit corner. His weakness is not, it isn't, it's in pass coverage and man-to-man pass coverage because for whatever reason, he doesn't contest balls very well. So yeah, there is there, that is his, the weakest part of his game <clears throat> and TJ Tampa, you'd think with his athleticism would be better at it. But at the same time, he's only played corner now for two years. I think mm-hmm. it was a, he came in as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And so it's been flipped over to playing a position that he doesn't know. And that's probably the finer, the finer, more technical points are at the line of scrimmage and 
at the point of contest for a defensive back. Those are the two places where you're going to end up being, but yeah, you look at the, the Presley touchdown last week, uh, Oklahoma state, you look at a lot of the touchdowns or the big catches that happened, uh, this week with West Virginia. And yeah, there's not a lot of winning the contested ball. The 50, 50 balls are now like 60, 40 for the offense, which is something that we'll likely see continue unless that gets remedied in some way. I would imagine we'll especially see it continue this week with Xavier Worthy coming to town with the Texas Longhorns. But um, all right, my last thing, dude, and this is not even specifically about this particular game. Obviously it plays into this particular game, but I think this is a college football wide conversation that needs to be had at some point. The idea of a centric review center, I think needs to be considered uh, instead of doing it the way that they do it now with the little tiny iPad or whatever the hell that is, iPhone five that the coach that the officials are looking at from mm-hmm. 2011. And then, uh, you know, the guy up in the booth, I just, I think that there's gotta be a more uniform way of handling some of these things than what they're doing right mm-hmm. now. The, the play yeah. in the back of the end zone. I, I understand what you're saying about the, the feet and the color of the turf and all that kind of stuff. The guy never was in bounds. Like he, it was pretty clearly seen on the TV copy from my point of view, the the guy's feet never touched. And that's what I think is frustrating, you know? And I Mm -hmm. I would like to think that that having a more uniform way of doing replay would make it to where that could get fixed. But like, there's gotta be a better way to do some of this stuff sometimes. Yeah. And and I want to, I feel bad for like the referees and there are certain, yes, I'm sure there are ways. And I think coach Campbell said, he's like, I don't know the process, like the fumble, uh, with Brees going to the end zone. Yeah. We'll come one back guy puts his hand. Yeah. Huh? We'll come back to that. Yeah. Okay. But, but they're just the refereeing generally in specific or in generality. He's not in specifics. Mm-hmm. One guy puts his hands up, calls touchdown. Other guy said from the opposite side says not touchdown. Ultimately some, there has to be a system in there. And I I'm sure there is, and I'm not saying that there needs to be, I'm saying there is where somebody can overrule somebody else if the, in the ranking of the referees, just because if ever, if two people disagree and they're going to hold firm on their position, that argument would never end because, mm-hmm. and the game has to continue. So somebody, there's gotta be like a little Trump system where somebody says, I am, you know, I get higher word over you. I, I don't know how that exact, how exactly that exists, but the referees aren't out to try and get the wrong call. No, no. one is trying to be wrong in this position. It's not the re- like the referees, you can't, you can be mad at them, but you can also understand, you have to understand that they're doing the best they can with the information they have. They might just, they just might not do the right call. Like there's a few of them that in that game that were the problem, but I think you bring up a good point with the, the, the replay system. I, I would love to talk to somebody like Brent on this of how the replay system actually works, which is, I don't think it is the case where in college, and I think in the pros you can, but in college you can't, and this is an I think, not an I know, that you sync up the time, the time signature, time stamps, and look from one angle and the one like the the back, the, the butt shot, and then a side angle, and you sync them up at the same time, and oh, his knee is down, uh, or it, you know, his knee is off the ground, or the ball is out, or whatever, and you can't syncing up two different angles at the exact same time stamp then you can compare those images separately. I don't think that that's the case now. I think you have to, you can only see it from one side and then see it from the other side. You can't concurrently see it, which would happen if you had better technology and a centralized replay system like the NFL has. Like every, every NFL, every replay in the NFL goes back, goes to New York. It is a replay system 
in New York that the, the officials in there are looking at. They have however many, whatever size monitors, whatever technology they have, it's better than what is on the field because you're not going to be able to see. I mean, imagine watching that game on your iPhone, mm-hmm. more or less, and then trying to make the call in front of 50,000 people that affects that directly affects the outcome of the game. You have to just stick with what's in the field because you can't see on that, that type of replay what's going to happen. So, yeah, I think there is... That is the biggest takeaway to me from the officiating. We'll get into that in the next segment, but like, that's the biggest takeaway is that there's a lot of systemic things that are, that can be fixed. And this was just a game where those problems got brought to light. And it just so happened that it was negative to Iowa state. I just imagine the officials going over to check the replay thing and they're watching it basically on the ESPN app. No, not even on the ESPN app. They're watching it on the Dufu sports, illegal stream app <laughs> and they're like trying to skip through with the 15 seconds a piece but then they're like oh crap we missed this angle that they just showed on espn plus and every angle that they're showing us on espn plus is absolutely horrible because the production crew is is not exactly what i would say the a team and yeah. it's like uh it's just a comedy to see these officials trying to make these decisions based on a screen that's smaller than my computer mm-hmm yeah. And, and another thing that's interesting is just the general landscape of college football is you have the SEC, which makes its own rules, the big 12, which makes its own rules, the big 10, which makes its own rules, the PAC 12, which makes its own rules, the American, which makes its own rules, the ACC, which makes its own rules, all of those leagues, no one's got the same system. I mean, I'm sure there are similarities, but the rules are not mandated by the NCAA down. It's, I would imagine it's each individual institution. Again, not hundred percent sure, but it's just interesting to think that, so wide and connected of a network as these conferences are, they're so disparate in how they get things done. And it just is frustrating when the review system is theoretically meant to make sure that we get plays right. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like that is often, or it seems like it's becoming more and more frequent that that is not the case, that they go to the review system and, and still don't get the play right. And it's going to roll with play stands. Right. And that's, it's almost like the officials use it as a crutch to just try and be like, we didn't know what happened. We're going to go review it, but we don't really still even know what happened. So we're just going to leave it with what we didn't know from the beginning, you know? Well, so the, the, the existence, this is a more philosophical question or statement. The existence of review is the only reason why we are, why, why as an aggrieved fan, regardless of what, you know, like the Kansas game, when they got the apology for Caleb Williams, taking the ball, that, that was, that was wrong. Well, the existence of review by its nature is a proofreading thing to eliminate human error with its existence. You then expect and accept less human error. If review wasn't in the, wasn't in play, you wouldn't expect perfection. You'd go, ah, that sucks. That's a terrible call and move on because you can't human. You, we intuitively know that humans are going to make mistakes. It, so by having review, then you think that we're going to catch those human mistakes and then human mistakes are, they shouldn't be there because we have a means to remove them. You know, you don't expect in a, in a, a, a text chain, if someone in a, in a text, if someone makes a typo in a text, you don't expect that necessarily to be perfect. And like a little immediately like, Oh, meant to say, I don't know, 
Dave instead of Rave, you know, whatever the correction is. But in an, in an email where you would think that the, the typo in an email is much more of a big deal than a typo in a text because there is a proofreader that is sort of built into that. That's the replay system is that it is a bigger deal than when a mistake happens just because replay is there. So replay should actually work in the way that it was intended and eliminate or remove the number of bad calls that exist. So it's not perfect by any means. And that, yeah, that is a, a frustrating aspect of the game. And it wouldn't have been such a big deal had Iowa State won and had Iowa State not been, uh, had the Xavier Hutchinson call from last week also not occurred. So there's just a, an additional amount of frustration with the, offici the process of officiating. Right. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll talk about the offense. We got to talk about Gary Patterson taking a step back at TCU. Oh, oh. he deserves better than his own country lyric. You're lucky I didn't lead the podcast with it today since, uh, <laughs> since Chris Williams couldn't on their podcast since they recorded early yesterday. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Talk about the rest of the league. When we come back, obviously we'll preview Texas here on football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network. Welcome back to football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Uh, we talked about the defense. We talked about all that stuff. Let's talk about the offense. Um, man, after a couple of weeks of Brock Purdy playing some of the best football of his uh, of his career, I thought Brock, considering the circumstances, as my dog is, what are you doing? She's digging on the bed. She was trying to dig to fix the blanket and get how she wanted, apparently. Uh, thought that he was playing really good football, but, you know, was under duress for most of the game. Not near as efficient as he had been the last several weeks. Uh, but I still thought Brock played his ass off, you know, to even give Iowa State an opportunity in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the running that he did in the back half of the second half was – really the only thing that kept Iowa state alive. Uh, what's interesting is when you look at the statistics, generally it's actually not that bad. I mean, you were seven yards per rush, which is not how it felt. It was just, there's a two or three really long runs for seven yards per rush and 11.6 yards per completion. And then total yards per average yards per play, you had seven yards per play. So I don't think the offense ultimately played all that bad. It was, and Brock played, I think, okay. It wasn't as accurate and consistent as it has been the past few weeks, but that's, I mean, Brock being the guy, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I am competitive. It's that I am not losing this game. It doesn't matter. I'm not losing this game. And then just a lot of things stacked up against him. Um, but I mean, if you have 425 yards and you put 31 points in the board, well, granted one of those a pick, was a pick six, you should be in a decent position to win the game. But at the same time, you can't be two of 12 on third down. That was of, of the offensive things that were frustrating is that third down performance was pretty bad. And that was what I hate to bring this game up too many times, but Iowa State was abysmal on third down against Iowa. And they were bad on third down in the first half against Baylor. And they were bad on third down against West Virginia. So that consistency, that, that, that kind of consistent through line is this offense is not generally going to be a 12 yards at a time type offense. You, you, I mean, you got these big plays from Brees and the one that I think Tariq Milton was the one that caught the touchdown. Um, 
but you, you get these big chunk plays and that happens, but it's usually not going to be 12 yards, 12 yards, 12 yards, 12 yards. It's going to be three yards, five yards, three yards, 50 yards. So you're going to need third downs. You're going to encounter third downs just by the nature of this offense. And again, thinking back to the Kansas state game, that 20 play drive or whatever it was, that's taking 10 minutes off the clock. That play exists because you consistently convert on third down and it sucks the life out of the other team. Your defense is already struggling time of possession. I think at one point was like 12 minutes for Iowa state and 24 for West Virginia, West Virginia, like we talked about in the first segment was patient taking the underneath routes, Iowa state. It was either getting a three and out or they were scoring on like the first drive, first play of the series. And so they were on the field for a very short time, which put the defense on the field for a really long time. They played okay. It was just the wrong style of game that they ended up playing for what the game needed. So I got to pull up the uh, third down breakdown. Like you mentioned before, Iowa State went two of 12 on third downs. Average distance to go was 7.1 yards for the Cyclones. They had four third third and longs. They were 0 for 4 on those. That's nine plus yards. Uh, this is a crazy stat, though, because this is just odd for what Iowa State usually is. On third and shorts, which is from one to four yards, they were one for six. So it's not even like they were always put into – long passing situations on half of their third down attempts, they were in third and short and they only converted on one of them, you know, like you just got to be better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really all it comes down to at the end of the day, got to be better, you know, and it's unfortunate, but it's just like, you can't blame that on anything, but yourself, you just got to be able to convert, you know? Yeah. And you know, one thing that didn't help that. And again, it just, it kind of, it's, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Jared Russ, not being on the field, yeah, losing him after the first play of the game is horrible. Substantially hurts your third, your third and shorts. Yeah, because a lot of what a fullback's job is is you have a man that you're trying to get to on any given play. Everyone's got someone that is supposed to hit. There's rules that are gonna maybe it's it's the first player to the left of the ID where the ID is set. Whatever, but there are rules where every person is more or less accounted for. And you kind of have to leave one because the quarterback's not going to block anybody. So there's 10 guys out of 11 that are accounted for in blocking and the fullback has one of them. But at the same time, on the way to getting to that guy, you're going to help anybody else. If, and that's the expression that our running backs coach and tight ends coaches would use was if there's meat on the bone, clean it up. So if there's, if my, if, if I'm going through the B gap and that's to the left of the guard, to the right of the center, and that's where I'm supposed to go. And I see the tackles got his guy handled, but the guard, his defensive tackle, there's a little bit of Jersey kind of showing up in the hole that I don't want to necessarily be there on my way to the linebacker that I'm going to try and block. I'm going to put a shoulder into that defensive line, defensive lineman and clear him, get him back to the guard and then get to my guy. Cause really all I'm doing is cleaning up the area where the running back can go and he can run in my wake. If that's the case, and I just get a, if it's third and two and I'm the fullback, all I want to do is create a little vacuum of space behind me that the running back can just jump into and then can kind of draft his way to three yards. And then we can move on from there. And Jared Russ is really good at that. It's why he has played as much as he has is because what he does is clean up a lot of those little mistakes or little just angles that are wrong. And so him not being in there, Makes it so uh, 83, what, what, what's, I don't know what 83's name is. Deshaun I, I will Hanika. in time. Deshaun Hanika, he's new and he's a tight end. He's not necessarily a fullback. That's not his position 
that's not, he doesn't have the same familiarity with how much you can and can't get involved with an offensive lineman. He was playing that role with Russ not being in there and was clearly not as good. And, and that's not any fault to him. I'd imagine he's a much better pass catcher than Jared Russ is, but he's just not in the same. That was one of the reasons why third downs got harder is because Brees didn't have that kind of vacuum to run into that Jared Russ provides again at the same time. That is one guy being not being out there. The other 10 have to make up for it. You shouldn't necessarily, I don't want to say you shouldn't need because long live fullback, but you, if you don't have a fullback on the field, you still have responsibilities to take care of. And you still should be able to do that. Despite the fact that West Virginia has a decent defensive line. That's again, it's not an excuse to say that all right, Jared Russ isn't on the field. We can't be good on third downs. Okay. It makes it harder, but it doesn't make it. So you should be one for six from third and short. I still thought Brees played reasonably well, considering uh, the amount of time that he was able to, or that he ran the football and basically had nowhere to go from the second that he touched it. Uh, finished the game with 24 carries for 167 yards and, and one touchdown. Obviously the, uh, the big 70 yard run on the, uh, on the opening play, well, not opening play, third play from third play of the game. Um, and then he had the other big run. I can't remember exactly how long it was. Uh, what was it? 64 something like that. Yeah. 64 yards or something around there. Um, no 53 yards, 53. uh, down to the four yard line where he was, I mean, that was as good of a run as 28's had in his entire career at Iowa state, probably carrying defenders down inside the five yard line. Um, the, and that's where, I mean, I think if you look at the, this offense as a whole, the thing that the group that really probably struggled the most was the offensive line. They just had a hard time with the disruption of, of, of West Virginia's defensive line, that -hmm. group, you know, that's where you got to give them credit. They talked, Neil Brown talked in his press conference this week, just about, uh, well, he talked about a lot of things last week, you know, coming into this game. And he talked about the physicality that Iowa state's offensive line was able to impose on their defensive line last year. I mean, they flipped the script. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. That that group kicked Iowa State's offensive line's butts for the majority of the game. Yeah, and and it also almost felt like Iowa State was a little flat on the offensive line. Like there wasn't the same kind of gumption spunk that that normally exists in there, which to play offensive line, it is a thankless position because you only get mentioned when someone else does something good or bad, mm-hmm. you, you never yourself get mentioned for doing anything. It's not like, man, look at that guy. He is the running, but the, the play only went for two yards, but that guy played really well. It's either something really good happened and Brees Hall gets the credit or something really bad happened and they blame you as a person. So it's a thankless position and you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to do it. And also against a really solid defensive line, you got to come with a, a, ferocious energy. And it, I don't want to say it because I wasn't there. And again, the, the broadcast was really bad as far as connoting tone of what the feeling of the game was, but it felt a little bit like Iowa state was flatter than West Virginia was, which would be understandable with how last year's West Virginia, Iowa state game went one team is substantially more motivated by revenge. And then Iowa state coming off of the physicality of last week, not wanting to then not, I don't want to say not wanting being hard 
to recover the safety against a fi another physical West Virginia team after having played a really physical game against Oklahoma state. So yeah, I, the offensive line has struggled a little bit. I don't, I don't expect that to continue because you know, if, if there is something that says you're not doing a good job, whether that's failing a test, whether that is getting beat in the running and not allowing pushing people around being third and shorts or getting fired from a job, there are things that are telling you you're not doing what you need to do. And you're going to respond to that and say, okay, well, can't do that anymore and move, get better from it. So I would imagine, I don't expect the offensive line to be as, I don't want to say as bad as average as they were this week in any future games because of this game. But it's, yeah, it's frustrating that you need that, that the lesson needed to be given in the first place. All right. You got anything left to say about the offense before we, uh, move on and we'll talk about Gary Patterson and some other stuff. I don't know if it's necessarily anything specific to the offense, but I still think that I don't think that was an exceptionally poor game by Iowa state. Generally, it wasn't good on defense, but it, I don't think as an, as a whole, like the Iowa game was a F minus for the offense. I think this was like a C minus for the defense it was like a B plus for the offense or a B game for the offense. West Virginia just played an A plus game. Mm -hmm. They were as good as that is as good as that West Virginia team has played all year. And I don't know. I was thinking about this with Iowa State having three losses now and looking at last year and thinking a little bit that the, the bounces have gone as, as pro Iowa State as the bounces last year went for the most part, they have gone against Iowa state this year. You think of like the Texas game, Texas, by all means could have, and should have won that game, but there was Latrell Bankston sack followed by missing a 53 yard or 55 yard or whatever field goal it was. If they don't get that sack at the end of the game, Cameron Dicker probably makes that kick and Iowa state probably loses against the Baylor game. Mike Rose gets a pick in the end zone after having thrown three interceptions in the first half. There's a chance they didn't get that one. This year, in the situations where the, the plays that have been that benefited Iowa State last year in those close contested games, they w have gone against Iowa State. It, you know, thinking of the uh, the two point conversion against Baylor, that one this year, that play goes against Iowa State. Where last year that play is converted in some whatever blame whatever you want, but that play happened. And then again against West Virginia, all of the the litany of things, the bad spot or the the the, the first down that should have been a first down, the touchdown that shouldn't have happened because his foot was probably off the ground, the fumble in the end zone, all those things. They, they last year, it felt like they bounced towards Iowa state. And this year they bounced away from Iowa state. And I, I don't know if that's like a law of averages thing that just eventually you're going to get squared out to be 50, 50, good and bad. Where last year it was like 60, 40, good and bad. So I don't think this team is drastically worse than it was last year. It's just drastically less lucky. Well, yeah, I think we're finding out how the ball can uh, even back out at the end of the day. All you got to do is look at what's happening with Iowa right now mm -hmm. <laughs> and the way things are going for them after being plus 12 in the turnover margin through what, five games, six games. And now I think they've been minus six in the mm -hmm. last two games. I think they're down. I think they were up to, they eventually at one point they were up to plus 14, uh, I think after Penn state, but now they're down to plus eight or something like that. Yeah. The, yeah it has not been very good. However, that is much more self-imposed than Iowa State's. I would say Iowa State is 
three plays away from being seven and one. Iowa is an entire offensive scheme away from being where they are. That is a systemic problem. That is not a bad, unlucky bounce. That is a systemic issue that that offense has. And we don't need to go into this and just taking the, the, the like or dislike the passion away from the analysis of Iowa, their scheme does not make sense. The way they coach it does not make sense from an offensive skill position perspective, offensive linemen, the best, some of the best in the country at coaching offensive linemen. They are some of the worst in the country at coaching skill players. And that it's, it is an odd system to be in, but when the offensive coordinator is the head coach's son, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be reprimanded as harshly as he should because he's still got to go to Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think the best personification of that entire team this year was the series where uh, Wisconsin got a strip sack on Spencer Petrus inside the 20 recovered it, got it to the one stopped him at the one. And then two plays later, uh, trying to get out of the shadow of their own goal of their own end zone, they fumbled again and gave mm-hmm. the ball right back to Wisconsin. Like yep. that was the most like 2021 Iowa football thing I think to ever happen. Yeah. The defense is so good and the offense is so bad and it is crazy how different I mean, their offensive are. line is rough. Yeah. Like you just, just outside of Tyler Linder, Linderbaum, everybody else is rough. R-U-F-F. They get that R-U-F-F again, too. <laughs> and I, I can talk about what Wisconsin did to Iowa. And it's funny that they just said, are your tackles? They're young. They don't know what they're doing. We are going to screw with their brains yeah. hard. Cause it wasn't physically, it's not physically that I, they, they don't know. Once they get their hands on you, they know what to do. It's not that they're getting beat physically. They're getting beat mentally. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know where to go because they have young tackles. And then Wisconsin playing a three down, they flex this kind of pass rusher guy around. And then well, they, they do a good job out. of, of hiding where they're going to send their blitzers from like Wisconsin. Yeah. That's just what Wisconsin's really good at. Yeah. And they have done that for a long time and they just yeah. took advantage of it because you have two young tackles. But it gets not, that's generally the offensive line is bad, but that's generally not the problem with Iowa. The problem with Iowa is that they do not coach quarterback technique. They mm-hmm. don't, they coach quarterback timing and they coach general philosophy, like where the ball needs to go, whatever, whatever. But if you watch any of the quarterbacks from year to year to year to year, their mechanics are garbage. That's why Nate Stanley and whatever, uh, uh, Spencer Peaches are either way overthrown or way underthrown. And that's not an arm strength thing. That's why there's a couple strip sacks against Spencer Peaches because the ball's at his belly button when he's taking a drop. Like those things are easily coached out. They just don't. And I just, I don't, again, I don't know. I don't understand why that offense is so bad from an, just an analyst perspective, not in any emotion to it. I do not understand how that offense can be so bad other than they do not coach the techniques they need to. All right, Gary Patterson is out at TCU after 21 years, the all-time winning, winning his head coach in Horn Frogs history. Uh, TCU would not be in the Big 12 if it was not for Gary Patterson and everything he was able to do for that institution and that football program. Uh, they asked him to finish out the season. He elected not to do that. Jerry Kill takes over as the interim head coach there. Uh, obviously, Jerry Kill, a former head coach, I think, at Northern Illinois, and then uh, you know a longtime coach at Minnesota as well, had some success with the Gophers uh, prior to Chasey Clays, and then uh, now P.J. Fleck. Uh, I don't think anybody was necessarily surprised by this. You and I had kind of had this discussion about 
coaches that could potentially be in need of a reset button. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody saw it happening in, you know, on Halloween with a month left in the season. Yeah. And it's bad. It is tough though, because I don't think, I don't think there's anybody. And I, I don't know that well, I haven't like talked to any player, like former TCU players, but I don't know if there's anybody that dislikes Gary Patterson. There might be some people, but it's just that at a certain point, the, the product on the field, the end result of the thing needs to be at a certain standard. And when it's not at that certain standard, you have to look at why it's not at that certain standard. And if there's consistent problems, which we had talked about in the last, I think it was in the pregame show. Uh, when, when you get these consistent problems where the defensive backfield, despite having talent is not performing the way they need to, where the pass rush is not performing the way they need to, the offense is turning the ball over all the time. Well, those are things that TCU has been doing now for three years. And the players have turned over most of the time. Uh, the, some of the coaches have like the offensive coordinator is, is different and all that stuff kind of comes back ultimately to either the culture that has been set by Gary Patterson or his decision-making himself. But the only way to get out of that rut is to get rid of, is to completely wholesale change, which is really tough when you have a guy that is, you know, yeah. TCU is nowhere near where they are without Gary Patterson just point blank period, end of story. They are nowhere near where they are right now without him. So yeah, it's, it's, that had to have been a hard conversation to have, but a kind of a necessary conversation is yeah. Like you said, it's just very surprising that it needed to happen that or that it happened now and not at the end of the year. But I think that just talks about, I mean, you may, you, you and I were texting before and made a joke that TCU and Texas tech are about to have a bidding war for, uh, Sonny Dykes, right? Mm-hmm. Or not Sonny Dykes for, uh, oh, yeah, for yeah, Sonny Dykes. Dykes. Yeah, he, he's expected to be SMA, the, the, the front runner. Uh, well, really, for both of those jobs. Uh, obviously, Sonny Dykes has the family connections. Um, his dad was the coach at Texas Tech for a long time. Uh, and then TCU, I mean, you know, Dallas and TCU is a big rivalry, the battle for the, fly, the frying pl- uh, pan. Uh, game, you know, go right across the Metroplex and try and p- pick him over. But uh, yeah, not, not ideal for either of those situations, man. What would you think now if Gary Patterson went to Texas tech? <laughs> uh, I think they take the statue down. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't, you have I, to I think don't... like, I have to wonder though, if this would like rejuvenate him. Like, do you think that he would become a retread that would do poorly somewhere else? Or do you think if he was rejuvenated and went to somewhere like Texas tech, he could turn it around? Well, I don't think he would go to Texas tech. I just don't think that that would necessarily be, I mean, maybe, or have we seen the last of Gary Patterson? Is he just going to move on now? No, I think it's going to be a Mac Brown situation. I think that where he is, he's going to take a few years off, maybe go into the booth somewhere because he's in Dallas. I mean, so that's naturally where there's a bunch of people. There's got a bunch of connections. So I would imagine he goes into the, whether it's just relaxes for a bit and not has to do anything, but he, I think most football coaches are go, go, go type people. So they can't just retire and do nothing. Uh, but I would imagine he takes the next year off or find waits until there's a really good opportunity or opening at 
you know, let's call I, I'm fill in the blank. Like uh, Lane Kiffin leaves Ole Miss and Ole Miss opens up or something like that. And like a position like that, where it's a good job, again, like Mac Brown did with North Carolina, where they were bad before he got there. And then he kind of, he was able to, after taking what, two or three years to be in the mm -hmm. broadcast booth and relax and not have to do everything, let himself recharge. And then you get to go back and reapply the thing. I bet that's a situation that he comes into. I would be surprised if right away he gets a job. It, but I would not be surprised if he got a job at, you know, Virginia tech or something like that in a little bit, just because how good he was at TCU, he's going to get another shot somewhere. Hindsight being what it is all joking aside, maybe we should have seen this coming when he did start making country songs about taking a step back from your responsibilities and spending time with your family. That uh, a complete wholesale commitment with uh, damning all other responsibilities. When you start to take a step back from that, it's less effective. Maybe he'll move to Nashville and just become a country music star. He's just coaches. It's Vanderbilt. Yeah. Well, no, he's not even going to do that. He's just going to go and like, you'll show up at a little dive bar in Nashville one night and Gary Patterson will be on the microphone. Well, the dude's been a, a division one football coach now for what? 20 years. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. probably got it. He's probably got, if he's invested, right. He's probably just got it he doesn't have to work a day in his life. Well, that's what I'm saying. He could go and do whatever he wants to now. Yeah, He could be a bar musician if he wants to. He could. Yeah. I mean, they, there's worse people you could probably see in a bar in Nashville uh, than Gary Patterson. I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting at the very he, least. He'd be a fun dude. You know, we joked about Bob Huggins and like being in Bob Huggins house. He'd be a fun dude to have a drink with. Could you yeah. imagine the stories that Gary Patterson would tell? And how invested, I feel like he's a guy that's going to tell a story. And when he's in, like, when he's telling the story, he's going to smack the table really hard and spill someone's beer, but that person's going to laugh with him. And then he's going to buy that guy a beer to refill that beer. But he's going to be like, he's waving his hands all over. He's going to throw his hat somewhere. Like that's the kind of storyteller that I feel like Gary Patterson's going to be, or would be, he'd be a fun dude to have a, to bar with. It would certainly, it certainly will be weird when TCU comes to Jack Trash Stadium at the end of November and Gary Patterson is not uh, not on the sidelines. Salute to a great career for him. Um, hopefully it's not the last of him. Uh, great character for college football and someone who's done a lot for the sport. Uh, let's just talk about Texas and then we'll wrap this up. Um, man, this game I certainly had the needle put to the balloon in the excitement for this one. Uh, 6.30 kick coming up this weekend. Uh, Texas coming off of a loss to Baylor, another game where the Longhorns had a lead, blew the late lead, and uh, and the Bears were able to get that one and stay in the hunt for the Big 12 title game. I mean, I don't – like, what's the mentality of this Texas team at this point? They're 4-4, four and four, you know. Uh, the media members in Austin are talking about this being a lost season already. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to argue with them, I suppose. I think I think you're going to get a big uh, play for me game for Texas. And that's not a good thing. That's not like a play for me as, as I'm important and I'll play for you. It's like, no, I'm playing for myself because I'm trying to get a look in the league or I'm trying to, you know, I, I got a, maybe I'm a backup and I'm behind, you know, fill in the blank position. And I'm trying to find another, I'm, I'm a transfer out. Cause I don't like this vibe. I don't like this, whatever I'm going to go try and make this interception when I really should just play behind and let the safety make a tackle or something like that. And I feel like that is what Texas has had a problem with 
is a bunch of me guys, not a bunch of we guys. And I feel like at this point in the season, after having blown three leads to uh, the three best teams in the conference, uh, out, I mean, Iowa State, I would still include Iowa State in that conversation, but uh, the three best teams that they've played in the conference, they've blown leads to in every single one of them. And you get now, you're not going to make the Big 12 championship. You're, you're playing, you're going to get to a bowl game because you're going to win two games at some point through the rest of the year, but it's going to be like, no, no disrespect. It's going to be like the Liberty Bowl for, and for Texas, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't know, I just feel like they're, they're, they have the propensity. If you hit them hard enough to play me ball, and I feel like that is what's happened now. If they're, if the game ends up being close or they end up having success for a little bit, then yeah, it becomes it just, it's the normal Texas team that we all kind of saw in the first few weeks. But I feel like this is a big opportunity for Texas to have a, uh, a selfish game, which Iowa state would absolutely eat alive if that happens. Absolutely. Um, all right. You got anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, all hope is not lost for Iowa state. It's just now substantially harder. So the weird thing, theoretically, now, Iowa state could still make the big 12 championship game. Yeah. It just needs. So Baylor, Oklahoma needs to state lose. And Baylor both got to play Oklahoma still. So yeah. So you, you need Oklahoma to win every game except Iowa state for the rest of the year. And so you need Oklahoma to beat Baylor. You need Oklahoma to beat Oklahoma state. Uh, and then at that point, it's a three-way tie. And then you look at, the, I think that the first tiebreaker is of the tied teams, what is their record against each other? And, and they so all beat each other all would have, yeah, just a, a circle of beating each other. Yeah. So they then move, I think to point differential. Yeah. Is it point differential in those games? I, I believe so. Yeah. I think it's point differential in the games versus the tied teams. And then it would be record against the number one team, yeah. I think. Uh, I think that that's right. So, yeah. So I don't know necessarily. I think Iowa State having lost by two to Baylor, beating Oklahoma State by four. I think they would be the odd one of the odd men out in that one because Oklahoma State beat Baylor by a larger margin than they lost to Iowa State by. Uh, so I think that's a thing that you need to get Baylor out of that tie. So they need to lose somewhere else. If they lose to anybody else in this in the rest of the season, and Oklahoma, and Iowa State wins out and Oklahoma beats Oklahoma or Oklahoma beats Oklahoma state, then Iowa state's still in the big 12 championship, but you need Baylor to lose twice. Now you need to win the rest of your games and you need Oklahoma to beat everybody else, which is not a completely unrealistic situation. So I think we're at the, the, the low part where we're like, man, we don't control our destiny anymore, but it's still not all hope is not lost. There is still a capacity to do it. It's just got substantially harder. And now you have to root from every week, which sucks. All right. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a great week. We'll talk to you guys again on another episode of football and random things next Monday. Peace.